Kidding, Keith. <laughs> oh, that was funny. Well, good morning, Grace Church. Um, I want to start this morning just by letting you know uh, about a great service opportunity for our church. And once again, just like I prayed, we want to be doers of the word. We don't want to just talk about loving God. We want to demonstrate loving God. And uh, so a great service opportunity for our church is, uh, uh, is upon us, and especially for the small groups of Grace Church. And as we talk about community today, one of the one of the best ways to build community is to serve together. One of the best ways to get to know each other is to, is to link arms and to serve, to get our hands dirty, so to speak. And I want to share with you a great opportunity to do just that, to serve together as a church and in your small groups. Grace Church is going to be involved in Operation Christmas Child this year in a huge way, in a big way. And we're going to challenge you and we're going to challenge your small group to pack some school supplies, some toiletries, and some toys and, sh- and shoe boxes. And we're going to collect all those shoe boxes here at Grace and we're going to ship them around the world to bless boys and girls who otherwise would go without receiving anything. But instead, they're going to receive a humble little shoe box filled with little gifts, gifts that will let them know that they are loved gifts that will just share the love of Christ with them. Before the boxes are shipped, a a gospel presentation is is put in there in their language. And after they receive the box, they'll have opportunity for follow-up and discipleship. And you can get more information about this after the service as you leave in the lobby. We have a table set up. And uh, just so you know, we're we're wanting to to serve. We're wanting to, uh, to reach out to the world. And I believe this is a great way to do so. Uh, the boxes are due uh, Sunday, November 15th, which is only five Sundays away. So our goal this year is to collect 500 of these boxes. Okay, It's going to be a big goal. We're going to try to support it in a huge way. But how cool would that be if we could uh, send out um, 500 shoe boxes around the world to just let uh, uh, children know that man, they are loved. Uh, they are loved by God. And there is someone... His name is Jesus Christ, who died for them, to save them. How incredible would that be? So I want to encourage you to rally your group, um, start packing some boxes, and let's share the love of Jesus around the world. Are you with me? Okay. All right. Woo! I was wondering if you were awake or not. That's good. Today is the final sermon of a three-week series called Tough Questions. And today, we're going to be dealing with a tough question that we receive from someone in our congregation. And this, this question is not only a tough one, it's not only difficult, but it's also heartbreaking. The question is this, and Reland shared it with us earlier in the service. If God loves me without exception, why then doesn't my church accept me? That's a tough question. And sadly, far too many churches and far too many Christians are known for not being loving and kind and accepting. and It's a tough question. It's a tough question. It's one that we desperately need to answer to make sure Grace Church is a place that welcomes sinners. A place where the broken feel welcomed and loved. And not only do they feel it, but they are welcomed and loved. Jesus was dealing with the same question while he was here on earth. 
many religious people tend to forget the purpose of the church. And Jesus summarized it. He was dealing with the Pharisees, the religious people of that day. And listen to the words of Jesus in Mark 2, verses 16 and 17. It says, But when the teachers of the religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, Why does he eat with such scum? Gosh, can't religious people be so cruel sometimes? Why does he eat with such scum? Verse 17. When Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. And there's a huge misunderstanding There was a huge misunderstanding in most people's mindset about the purpose of church, why we gather, not not only on Sundays, but throughout the week, why we gather together as a church. People don't come to church simply to satisfy spiritual needs. They come to us with a deep yearning and a deep desire for connection. The need for connection and community is hardwired in us. You don't have to be a Christian or a churchgoer to understand that people need each other. We need one another. Why is it, church, that solitary confinement is viewed as a horrible punishment? It's horrible. Nobody wants to go there. Because being subjected to extended times of aloneness, it kills the spirit, it introduces insanity, and ultimately, it destroys a person. One prisoner talked about how amusing it was to to watch two men who had just been released from solitary confinement. He said they were both talking their heads off at the same time, neither one listening to the other, both absolutely mesmerized by the sound of their voices. I know some of us are introverted. Some of us are extroverts. Some of us seek more solitude than others do. But we also know that even introverts need the companionship, the friendship of other people. Because more than any other creature, humans are extremely relational. Even even God, church, even God, the God that we worship, exists in community. In Genesis 1.26, the scripture says, Let us make man in our image. Notice the plurality of the words, us and our. In Genesis 1, chapter, uh, chapter 1 and verse 2, we see the Spirit was there at the creation of the world. In John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, we see that Jesus was there at the creation of the world. So at the very beginning of time, on the edge of nothingness, there was God the Father, there was God the Son, and there was God the Holy Spirit. And together, they spoke into existence the creation of the universe. Yet Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4 says, The Lord our God, the Lord, He is one. So with God... 
there is plurality within oneness. You cannot understand the true nature of God until you accept that He is not simply an individual. Why am I saying all this? Because the Scripture tells us that we were created in God's image. Therefore, we were created for community. If we compromise community within Grace Church, or if we individually somehow miss out on community, we'll miss out on the fullness of what God intends for us. We'll miss out on the beauty of friendship. We'll miss out on the beauty of relationships. We'll miss out. Community church is not optional. Following Jesus means following Him into community. It's a scary thing for a lot of us. But it's so critical. It's critical to the life and health as a church. It's so critical to your life and health as a follower of Jesus Christ. And Jesus was so passionate about the reality of our need for one another before Jesus went to the cross to die a brutal death so that you and I could be redeemed, so that you and I could be forgiven. He prayed for you, and he prayed for me. The entire prayer of Jesus before he went to the cross is found in John chapter 17. Write that down. This afternoon, this evening, tomorrow morning, go to John chapter 17. It's an incredible chapter. It's the prayer of Christ before he went to the cross, and he's praying for you. It's an incredible chapter in the scriptures. But I want to focus in on verses 20 and 21. And this is what Jesus prayed for you and me. Jesus said, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they, speaking of us, speaking of you and me, I pray that they will all be, say it with me, one. You can say it a little bit louder. Yeah, when I point it, you say it. Nice. One more time. There you go. Just as you and I, speaking of Him and the Father and the Spirit, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world will believe you sent me. The church is referred to as the body of Christ because those outside of faith look at the church as an example to see what Christ is really like. We're, we're the body of Christ. We're the hands, we're the feet, we're the mouthpiece of Jesus. So what are we showing the world? When the world looks in on us, what do they see? Do they see Christ? Or do they see something that they want nothing to do with? And I hope and pray that they see Jesus. They see kindness, and they see love, and they see compassion, and they see just good deeds done to the max, and they see uh, community involvement, and they see us welcoming in broken and sinners and those who need help. If you, if you pride yourself on being a lone ranger, and I might even just zoom in a little bit more and say, fellas, 
if you pride yourself on being a lone ranger, and if you're completely disconnected from the body of Christ, what then do you do with this prayer from Jesus Christ? He is praying that you will be one with other people, the body of Christ. Let me ask you, are we willing as a church, are you willing as an individual, are you willing to do what it takes to be a church that experiences true community? Church should be the safest place on earth. Church should be a place where people are loved, where people find connection, and where no one stands alone. Church should be a place where people find hope, they find purpose for their lives, and most importantly, they find relationship. The reality is, there's no fast food model for community. It just doesn't happen overnight. As Americans, we want it all right now, right? That's the way I'm kind of wired. Often, we want results without putting in the work. We want change without challenge. We want strength without suffering. And we want community without commitment. It takes effort. It takes effort. So the practical question that I want to deal with with the remainder of our time together this morning is the question of how. How can we build authentic relationships with one another? How do we grow closer to Christ in the God-designed environment of community? Bill Donahue and uh, Russ Robinson, they're small group pastors. They, they share five ways that we can build authentic relationships with one, one another in their book called Building a Church of Small Groups. And I thought it was so good. I want to share it with you this morning. So the first way that we can build authentic relationships is, number one, by self-disclosure. Okay, Know and be known. True, true community is more than just being together. A lot of people think, hey, man, I went to church, and I sat next to some people, and, yeah, man, that's community, you know? Like, we're tight because I sat next to them. I don't know their name, but I sat next to them, you know? True community is more than just being together. A person doesn't develop trust with other people simply by being in the same group or being in a Bible study even or even praying together. They don't build true community even just by sharing the same leader or same pastor or same small group leader. In order for trust to be built, you have to relate. And in order to relate, you have to know one another. And to know one another, this is huge, this is tough, you have to be open to trust. When it comes to trust in relationships, it can always be super scary. Because trust involves intimacy. Trust involves taking risks. Trust can even involve grief. 
Sometimes relationships are tough because, gosh, you build this intimate, deep relationship, connection, and maybe death comes knocking on the door. It's like, man, how much more pain can my heart take, you know? Sometimes it can be difficult. Trust involves intimacy, involves risk, it even involves grief. They all play a part in relationships. I mean, Jesus modeled this in John chapter 11 when his friend Lazarus died. The scripture says that Jesus wept. He didn't just tear up. He wept. He was broken at the death of his friend. He was broken because such a deep relationship had come to an end. In Acts chapter 20, the Ephesian elders, they mourned and they were broken up when the Apostle Paul had to depart because God had called him to a different place. They were broken up because such deep bonds, such deep friendships had developed. In order to know and be known, we have to step over the barriers of fear. We have to be willing to take a risk. And we also have to overcome the barrier of the known potential of grief to make authentic relationships happen. One man put it this way. He said, in order to see, I have to be willing to be seen. If a man takes off his sunglasses, I can hear him better. I thought that was really good. In order to know and be known, you have to overcome the the barriers that oppose relationship, such as fear or shame or pride, or sometimes just simply being lazy. Like, we don't want to put in the effort into this relationship or this friendship. Allowing others to see deeply into your life is one of the greatest gifts you can give another individual. I would say that self-disclosure needs to be appropriate, of course. But when we share our stories with other people, it gives them a window into our souls. And it opens up the door for authentic friendship and authentic relationship. And that friendship, those relationships, it is a non-negotiable in building a strong biblical community. Can I say that one more time? Authentic relationship is a non-negotiable when it comes to building a strong biblical community. Self-disclosure, it plays a huge part in that process. In order to know, you have to be known. The second way to build authentic relationship is by caregiving. Love and be loved. We need to learn to love and we need to learn to be loved. One of the best ways to love, church, is by listening and remembering. James chapter 1 and verse 19 tells us to be quick to listen. Other versions say to lead with your ears. Be quick to listen. Really listening to what people are telling you, it honors them. It expresses love to them. And it puts scripture into action. One of the best ways to know if you're truly listening, I'm going to practice on you right now, see if you're truly listening. One of the best ways to know if you're truly listening is if you remember. 
If you don't remember, you're not listening. Because you could care less. I don't care. I don't care. In one ear, out the other. One of the best ways to know if you're truly listening is by remembering. So just a couple practical examples. It's, it's like sending, sending a thank you note, right? Reminding someone that you prayed for them. They, they, they share something. They make themselves vulnerable. And a couple days later, you see them and you say, you know what? I prayed for you about that specific situation. What about embracing someone after church? Say, hey, I know you've been going through this hardship and, and you're remembering What about sending an encouraging email or or leaving a phone message? When you do this, church, it lovingly tells them, I remember. I was listening to you. I care. It didn't go in one ear and out the other. I remember. Have have we not heard all the excuses in the book? I've used these excuses. I, I just have a bad memory, you know? I just have a bad memory. That's why I don't remember. Um, you know, I just, I just, I'm forgetful. Um, that's just my personality. You know, whatever the excuse is, lame, lame, lame. The fact is, you don't care. Okay, that's the truth. That's the hard reality. Listening and remembering. I saw a couple wives giving elbows <laughs> during that section. That was quite fantastic, actually. Listening and remembering are two of the best ways to love and be loved. One final thing that I want to say about caregiving is the Apostle John, and he has some very strong words for us, especially those of us in the church. He has some very strong words for us to chew on when it comes to to loving our brothers and sisters in the Lord, and especially those in our church. 1 John chapter 3, and verse 17, the Apostle John says, If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Man. There's another ingredient to help us better connect relationally, and that is humility serve and be served. This point, it's really similar to caregiving, but caregiving has more to do with, you know, loving people inside the church, whereas serving has more to do with those outside the church, those who are seeking, maybe newcomers, those outside these four walls. In John 13, Jesus showed his disciples the full extent. The scripture says he showed his disciples the full extent of his love by stooping down to one of the lowest places that you could go in that culture. And he washed his disciples' nasty, dirty, stinky feet. And as Christians, we need to practice the humble act of service. We need to serve one another. And and I'll go so far as to say, a Christian leader who's unwilling to serve is not fit to lead. He should not be in leadership. Because serving aligns us with the very heart of Christ. And Jesus is the one who said, I came not to be served, but to serve. One of the best ways 
to practice serving is to help someone who cannot return the favor. Man, that's when you know you're serving well. Randall Wallace, he was the screenplay writer for one of the best movies of all time. Braveheart said this, often the secret in giving is giving in secret. Man, that just sent chills down my spine. This kind of giving, it it creates an atmosphere of humility. Because the only one you're doing it for is God. It keeps you from looking and lusting after the praise of men. Recently, I, I read about a small group that learned of a woman outside of their group whose husband walked out on her and her three kids. And her husband left her with a big house and a car and no income. And this group decided to, to serve her and to just come alongside her and help. And what they did was they mowed her lawn and they cleaned her house for an entire summer. But to this day, only one person in the group has actually met this woman. So it's just the way it worked out. So others in the group, they they never even met the woman, but they were just serving her in silence. They didn't have to meet her. They didn't have to hear the thank you. They They just served, and they did it humbly, and they didn't receive any accolades. Too often we serve because we long to hear, thank you for serving. Thank you. Or sometimes we'll serve because we want a favor in return. But when you or your group serves together and you're not expecting anything in return, it strips your group of pride and it fosters true caring. It fosters community. It fosters servanthood, intimacy, and authentic relationships. Man, I I hope and pray that you're challenged individually and even in your small group that we can start serving and just do stuff, just serve random acts of kindness and don't expect anything in return. Number four, to build trust and authentic relationship, truth-telling is a must. It's a must. Admonish to be admonished are the blanks on your outline. Admonish to be admonished. The word admonish comes from the Greek word, uh, I'm not even going to try that, neothetio, meaning to put in mind or to warn. The idea of admonishing calls people to change. And then it provides the encouragement, the teaching, and the resources to help them change. We often avoid truth-telling Because of the fear of conflict. Most people hate conflict and they avoid it at all costs. We worry about getting hurt ourselves or we worry that we're going to hurt the other person. We're afraid that maybe I'm going to get too angry. I'm going to say things that I'll regret. Or maybe I'll embarrass the other person or maybe I'll embarrass myself. But listen, withholding truth robs people of the opportunity for spiritual growth. Truly trusting each other means that we have to speak and we have to hear the truth together. We've got to work hard at speaking 
and hearing the truth. When we don't admonish one another, emotions go underground, pain is medicated but never relieved, and the authentic relationships that we crave just become another name on a long list of acquaintances. We don't need any more acquaintances. We need deep friendship and authentic relationship. When you have a relationship that's rooted in love and trust and humility and admonishment, you realize the friendship, man, it's not perfect, but it's real. It's authentic. It's true. And it's much needed in my life. Lastly, you guys doing okay? Lastly, to build authentic relationships, large doses of affirmation is needed. So in the blanks there, celebrate to be celebrated. Earlier this year, I was able to go to a, uh, a business leadership conference in Farmington called LeaderCast. And uh, the theme of the conference was Beyond You. And so they were talking about living beyond yourself, not having the focus all on you. And, uh, you know, I think we would all agree we live in a culture that's kind of self-centered. And it's all about the individual. And it's, you know, it's all about me. And one of the speakers at the conference was uh, giving an example about how self-centered and self-focused we, we've become by talking about the selfie craze, right? Selfies, people taking pictures of themselves. Now they have those selfie sticks, you know, and they take pictures of themselves and they plast it on uh, social media for the world to see. But I thought it was pretty cool because towards the end of his talk, he challenged the business leaders who were involved in this conference to, and he encouraged them to, uh, to affirm their employees and to celebrate their employees by taking Uzis instead of selfies, okay? So a Uzi works like this. Instead of taking a picture of yourself, take a picture of someone else who's getting the job done. Post it on social media and brag about it. Okay, that's the challenge. Talk about how incredible they are and talk about how important they are to the success of the company. And then he asked, you know, everyone that was in attendance there, he asked, what if we did that in our small groups? What if we did that in our families? And instead of it being all about selfie, it was more about using, right? We need to celebrate and affirm one another. Christians have always struggled with the idea of celebration. Because many of us think if we have too much fun, it must be sinful, right? Sin is too close. I mean, it's, it's too close. It's around here somewhere because we're having too much fun. Calm down, be quiet. We have a hard time celebrating, let alone celebrating what God has done in other individuals' lives. Maybe we think too much affirmation of someone might give them a big head. I mean, I don't know what we think sometimes, but we, we are not quick to affirm people, to celebrate, to rejoice with people. But let me be clear, church. 
the Bible doesn't equate gloominess with holiness. And we're often reminded and taught in the Scriptures to encourage, to affirm, and to rejoice with one another. Why? Because we need to be reminded, we need to remind each other that God is gracious. We need to remind each other that His redemption is real. And we need to remind each other that Christ is at work within us. Celebration is intertwined all throughout the Scriptures. Luke 15.10 says that heaven throws a party every time a sinner repents. Heaven is always partying. They're always celebrating and rejoicing. Jesus was a master of celebration. He turned water into wine. No, it wasn't grape juice. It was wine at the wedding. He told a newly redeemed tax collector to throw a party for his friends so he could minister to them as well. The life of Jesus was also marked by deep joy. He had a contagious love for real people in real life. Even in the upper room, Jesus spoke of joy. He said, I tell you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Or other translations say, full. John 15, 11. And if, if Jesus isn't enough, the Apostle Paul also focused on celebration. He exhorted the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord always. And then he said it again just so he made sure that they would catch it. He said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Making sure that the church he was speaking to understood exactly what he was talking about. Celebrating in our salvation was essential for the early church. It was essential because it's life-giving. You celebrate and you rejoice and you understand what has truly transpired and taken place in your salvation. You can't help but just be thankful and rejoice and celebrate. It was essential in the early church because it glorified God. When we pause and we celebrate the work that He's doing among us, gosh, it helps us to take our focus off our petty little puny problems, and it helps us to focus on more important things, like people and what God is doing in people's lives. Honestly, Grace, I need to get better at this. We need to get better at this. We need to practice celebrating. We need to practice encouraging one another. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25 says, let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Okay? Jalapeno poppers, Snickers bars, I'm in. But for other people, it might be something different. I can't think of anything better to motivate than affirmation, encouragement, and celebration. When we remember, gosh, this, this Jesus thing is true. Gosh, this, this Jesus thing actually works. Gosh, look at that marriage that was just done and now it's redeemed and they're like flourishing. Let's celebrate that. Let's remember that. Let's talk about that. Let's motivate one another to acts of love and good works through affirmation, encouragement, and celebration. Verse 25, 
And let us not neglect our meeting together. I'm going to read that one one more time just because it's so good. And let us not neglect our meeting together. Let the Holy Spirit convict as He will. As some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of His return is drawing near. Man, it's so good. When we gather together, we should be edified, built up, encouraged. Honestly, church, I'm, I'm really focused on this. I want to hear more of your stories. I want more of your stories to be shared from this platform so that your stories can encourage me, so that your stories can encourage other people. I know God is doing great and mighty things in your life. And we need to hear about that. Don't keep it to yourself, please. Share it. We need to hear it. I need to hear it. Many of us want answers before we dive into the pursuit of authentic relationships. We're, we're timid. We're very cautious, and sometimes rightly so. Maybe we've tried it before, and gosh, it blew up in my face. And I'm just here to say, man, try it again. If it blows up again, try it again. If it blows up again, it might be you, you know? But sometimes we want questions answered before we dive into authentic relationships like this. What, what if I'm rejected? Gosh, I, I fear that sometimes. What if the church isn't ready for this oneness stuff, you know? How long does it take to build authentic relationships? Man, I've, I've been trying and it just seems like it's still surfacy. Like, how long does it take? You know, we have these what if, what if, what if questions. But I have to say, church, we can't afford the luxury of waiting for Because each Sunday marks another week of relational insufficiency among the redeemed. It marks another seven days that hungry souls searching for truth, people who deeply matter to God, will sit outside these walls, will sit outside the gates, so to speak, of this redeeming community. And they're just hoping for a few scraps of authentic Christianity to fall off the table into their empty hands. We need to be committed to building a different kind of community. A community where people have the courage and the faith to risk face-to-face vulnerability, even though many others will turn and run in fear. We need to be a community where broken people are not turned away. A community of people that will break out of their little bubbles and a group of people that will seek after true spiritual community rather than surface, plastic, potato salad fellowship. Because church, it's on all of us. It's on you. It's on me. It's on all of us to make sure no one stands alone here at Grace Church. It's on all of us to make sure that souls are not turned away. Not here, not now, never again. And I hope we can be known in this community as a church that loves and welcomes sinners. I hope we're also known as a church that doesn't let them stay in their sin. 
We want to see people get in. The door should be wide open. We want to see people get in. We want to see people grow up in their faith and get closer to Jesus Christ. And we greatly desire to see people go out to make a difference in this broken world. Friends, the only thing, the only thing you can take with you into the next reality, the only thing you can take with you after this life is people. You can't take your truck, you can't take your house, you can't take your trophies. The only thing you can take with you is people. Every once in a while, man, every once in a while, you got to take a risk. And so I'm going to close just by asking you as humbly as I know how, church, would, would you raise your risk level a little bit? raise the risk level a little bit. I mean, how about how about even today inviting someone that's sitting in this room to lunch that you don't know? How about secretly helping that family in Grace Church that you know is is really struggling? Just finding a way to bless them without anybody else knowing. Would you raise the risk level by committing to pursue authentic relationships? And you can commit to that by, by, by getting plugged into Grace Church. Maybe you need to raise the, list, the risk bar by committing to uh, our next steps here at Grace Church. Maybe you need to sign up for Discovering Grace, or maybe you need to sign up for the essential small group so that you can get connected and meet other people. Because without authentic relationship, without community, you'll never experience the fullness Christ has for you. I'm going to ask the band, if you guys would, go ahead and make your way up this morning. And we're going to close out with the song. They're going to lead us in a song, and it's called Come As You Are. And the song's just really appropriate for the sermon today, really appropriate for the message. And I just want to read to you verse 2 of this song. Really powerful. Verse 2 of the song says this, There is hope for the hopeless and all who've strayed. Come sit at the table. Come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary. Rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't cure. And sometimes that same grace that Grace Church, other churches need to extend to everyone. Sometimes that same grace needs to be extended towards the church. And I understand, I understand Grace Church isn't perfect. But can I go on record by saying this? The pastor of Grace Church greatly desires to lead Grace Church to become an authentic community that loves people. A community that is a safe place for people who are broken in a community where no one stands alone. I pray that we can be a church where people can come just as they are. Just as they are. Whatever that is, that they can come in and they can not only feel welcomed, but they are welcomed. 
They can come in with all their flaws. They can come in with all their brokenness and all their baggage. And some will have some extra carry-ons. They're welcome too. And I pray that they can come just as they are and experience the redeeming kindness and love of God that is shown and demonstrated through us, His people. It's the way God, it's the way God made it happen. He orchestrated it. Words are not enough. It has to be shown. It has to be demonstrated. And he said, you, us, you're going to be my hands. You're going to be my feet. You're the body of Christ. So go and show the love of God to this world. Go and show the kindness of God to this world. And lastly, I'll just say, I just, it's not in my notes. I just want to say, if, if, if you've been coming to grace felt, and maybe you feel alone, and you feel like, gosh, man, I, I haven't connected, I, I don't think this church is for me, these people aren't friendly, whatever it is, I first of all just want to humbly ask for your forgiveness. That's not my intention, I don't believe that's the intention of the heart of this church. They are some very kind, loving, compassionate, godly people here at Grace. We greatly desire to see the broken redeemed. So I humbly ask for forgiveness and I ask that you give us another chance. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning and we're going to sing, Come As You Are.